the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we're throwing it back to a presentation from MaxLawCon 2019. Immigration attorney and co-founder of Maximum Lawyer, Jim Hacking, shares his presentation, Niche Down, What Happened Next? Let's get to it. This is not how it was supposed to go. I had been putting off this day for a very long time. I did not want to have this conversation. I sat in the car waiting to go inside to talk to my wife after dinner. I had some bad news to give her, news that I hadn't been entirely honest about. And I had started this conversation 10 or 12 times before I actually had it. I really didn't want to have this conversation. It involved me becoming honest with myself in ways that I didn't know possible. And as I got out of the car and walked into the house, my kids were sitting around the dinner table, my wife was sitting to my right, and I was stealing myself to have this conversation. The kids were fighting as usual and dinner ended quickly. They all went their separate ways to play on their iPads and their computers. And I turned to my wife and I told her. But before I tell you what I told her, I need to tell you how I got there. I was born five minutes from here. Many of you came from very far, and I forgot to give a shout out to my man, Richard Auger, coming from Canada. Uh, Richard, thanks for being here, everybody. And I grew up in St. Louis, and I grew up in a very Catholic community, and I lived on a very Catholic street. We knew everybody on the street who wasn't Catholic, and everyone thought they were weird. At the end of the street was our church. And I was an altar boy, a boy scout. I did everything that I was supposed to do. But as a young person, I sustained a trauma. My trust was violated by someone in a position of authority, and that person broke me in two. I didn't know it at the time. It took a really long time for me to figure out what had happened, and it wasn't until much later and a lot of heartache and sadness that I was able to figure it out, and I'll tell you about that. But I grew up, I went to school, I studied with the Jesuits for eight years, and they taught me about being a man for others, which is a great goal and something that I I lived by. I went to St. Louis University High School, and I went to St. Louis University. And because I was broken, I ate, and I ate, and I ate, and I ate. By the time I graduated from high school, I weighed about 200 pounds, 
Four years later, when I graduated from college, I weighed 320 pounds. I was isolated. I was alone. I had a few friends. But I was miserable, and I was sad, and I was broken. So what would somebody in that situation do? They would go study to become a priest. And I moved to Denver, Colorado. I found my geographic cure. I was going to move to Denver, and I was going to save the world. Lucky for me, I had the best novice master you could ever ask for. So I lived in community with eight other guys. We lived in this big old empty house in Denver. And our novice master was a guy named Ralph Hughes. And Ralph, to his credit, gave me much freedom in deciding whether or not to stay. And I knew I wasn't healthy. But as soon as I got there, guess what committee I got in charge of? The cooking committee. So I was in charge of the food, and I would go get the groceries every week. And I can specifically remember just eating out of my mind all during my time in Denver. I was as isolated as I could be at that point. And one day we went on a silent retreat. And in the retreat, we couldn't talk for two days. And I went to the library, and I found two books that were standing side by side on the bookshelf. The first was the big book from Alcoholics Anonymous. And the second book was a book by Louis Anderson, the comedian, talking about his struggle with weight. And I was blessed to read the big book, and I was able to substitute the word food for alcohol in, without anyone ever telling me to. And I realized that I needed to get better. I realized that I was not going to be any good to the world if I was isolated, heavy, and alone. So after about seven months, at the end of this retreat, I went out, it was snowing, it was in December, I went up on this mountain and I was thinking about what should I do? And I looked down the precipice from this hill that I was on and there was a, a stag deer and he was looking at the fence, trying to figure out what to do. And he's looking at the fence, looking at the fence and I'm watching him and it's snowing and he jumps over the fence. And I went back to the novitiate after the silent retreat and I said, I'm going home. I'm gonna heal myself, I'm gonna lose all this weight, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be better. And I went, uh, my dad picked me up at the airport and he said, Jimmy, what do you want to do? I said, let's go to McDonald's. So I went home and I kept eating. And I lived in my parents' basement and a good friend's father called me one day. I was sitting on the couch watching Oprah. And he said, hey Turks, why don't you come down and work at this law firm and we have this plaintiff's case and you can help us. And so I worked on this case for a year and a half. I organized all the discovery. There were 35 different cases and somebody had jumbled up all the cases into one big pile. So all the discovery was together and all these, they had different defendants. It was all the same theme case, but they were all different defendants. So I worked on that and I had the best job ever. I became the runner, not the runner, like a case runner, but I, I did the paralegal work. I did, I would find other attorneys who had similar cases. I did all the great grunt work that so many people in our law firms do. It was the best job I ever had. And these guys were doing really important legal work. And so it got me interested again in the law. And so I decided to go into the law, and I moved out on my own. And for the first month on my own, all I did was eat. And all I did was eat, and I was, I was really miserable. And then I realized what had happened to me as a young person. And I realized how I'd been broken. And it all came back to me in a flash. And at that point, I started going to Overeaters Anonymous, and I started losing weight. I lost 10 pounds a month for 13 months. And I really changed who I was, I was free, I thought, of that pain and that anger and that sense of injustice. And that was when I was in law school. And I went through law school and I became the best student I ever was. I did the best I ever did with my grades. 
I was committed. I became editor of the Law Journal. I met my wife, my future wife. We were on Law Journal together. And all the while going to Overdue's Anonymous, and I had to really reconfigure my relationship with a higher power. And I had to find a higher power who could do for me what I could not do for myself. Because the God that I had was broken. The image I had of a higher power wasn't working for me. And I needed to find something that I could rely on. And what I didn't realize was that because of what had happened to me, I had this real sense of justice, of people treating other people unfairly, of people abusing other people, and of people taking advantage of other people. And I decided that I, I wanted to learn how to fight for the people that were taken advantage of. Hey guys, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. That's because we're seeing some really exciting things happening with Guild members and their businesses. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Inside, you'll gain support, tap into a network of connections, and continue learning, a common theme among successful entrepreneurs. There are so many benefits inside the Guild, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the Guild to check out all of the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. Investing in a community is like the self-care of business ownership. Being in a community with other people who get it is crucial when you're creating a rock-solid foundation to build your business on, one that's strong enough to withstand setbacks, transitions, and growth. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode. And so I, I had a small job at a small firm, and then I eventually got a job doing maritime law, and I became a partner at this law firm. There were three partners. I finally became a partner, and then I came to my wife, and I said, hey, I really want to start my own firm. It's something I've always wanted to do. And she said, that's really interesting. You've never mentioned that before, and we've been married for 10 years. We had three kids at the time, and I said, no, I really want to do this. I've really thought it out. And she said, okay, I want you to have a plan and my plan was, my wife is originally from Egypt. She grew up Muslim, and I had converted to Islam. And whenever I went to the mosque, people asked me to help them with legal things. And the maritime lawyers were like, we don't want you doing that. And I would tell the Muslims that I was working on barges, and they were like, what's a barge? There was a real disconnect there. But I was worried that we had three clients and three partners, and I worried that if we lost a client, that one of the attorneys would go away. And I had seen in my other jobs attorneys get taken advantage of because they had no clients of their own. And I didn't want to be 45 or 55 or 65 and just having to go out to find my own clients. So after much back and forth with my wife, she said I wanted a detailed plan. I never really gave her that detailed plan, but she finally relented and let me go out. Now, we were really lucky because she worked at St. Louis University, and so we had health insurance and we had the mortgage. Everything else was on me. And so at first, I was there right there with many of you doing whatever came in the door. If someone could breathe, that was my client, and I took everything that I could. But it became clear after a while that most of my work was coming from the immigrant community and that most of the interest was immigration. But I got involved in two cases that led me to that place where I told you when I was at the dinner table with Imani. The first case was for an African-American fellow named Cedric. Cedric had been picked up by the St. Louis Police Department for stealing a six-pack of beer from a gas station down on Jefferson. And when he got to the police station, they said, Cedric, you're Corey. And he said, no, I'm Cedric. 
And they said, no, you're Corey. And then they locked him up as Corey, and he spent seven months in the St. Louis City Jail, which is a real hellhole, for seven months until he was eventually released. And so I wanted to bring an action against the police for his wrongful incarceration. And during the course of that, we found out that this had happened like 80 times. And we were working with the newspaper and got a story out of it. And I sunk about 300 hours of my time into this and a lot of money into it. And the federal judge, Audrey Fleissig, granted summary judgment in favor of the police department, basically saying that these two black guys looked alike, so no harm, no foul, hacking you lose. So that was the first case. And the second case was for a young man who was wrongfully accused of robbing a woman at gunpoint. And I spent 200 hours on that case trying to prove his innocence, trying to get someone to understand. And by the end of those two cases, I was flat broke. Not only was I flat broke, I was in debt. I was $50,000 out on the credit line, and my credit cards were maxed out. And I had done everything I could to keep from telling Imani that. I did everything I could from being honest about that. I never broke any ethical rules, but I was shaking trees looking for money. And it was the worst time of my life. And I had talked to my counselor and talked to my therapist about how am I going to have this conversation. And on, when I would see her on Wednesdays, we'd talk about it. I'd get all steeled up. And then I'd come back the next Wednesday, and she'd say, do you have that conversation yet? I'd say, no, not yet. No, not yet. And it's one of the, the biggest things of shame in my life that I wasn't honest with Imani. And I had to get through that shame. I had to face that honesty before anything else could improve. Dan Sullivan says that no progress occurs unless you're first honest. The, the big book requires honesty in the first three steps. You have to be honest and to, to go through that shame. I didn't know what was going to stand on the other side. I didn't know how Amani was going to react. She's a hot-tempered, Egyptian, beautiful woman, and I was scared to death to have this conversation. So the kids got up from the dinner table, like I told you, and I told Imani what happened. I told her all of it. I told her about the debt, about the problems, about the credit cards, about everything. Imani is a closer. Imani swung into action. We dragged out the books. We started digging. We figured out where I went wrong. I had spent basically 500 hours on two cases that generated zero income. No small firm can sustain that. And the reason that I did that is because I felt this need to punish the St. Louis Police Department. I felt this need to punish the justice system for Cornell. And I had to let go of that. I had to stop doing that. I had to stop with this crusade, right? And I had to find a way to help people in a way that could be controlled, in a way that could be measured, in a way that could be balanced, and in a way that could make me money. And this is what it took for me to niche down. This is what it took, me getting pounded on the head when the, when the jury came back and declared Cornell guilty, despite his innocence. And when Judge Fleissig granted summary judgment in favor of the police department, this is what it took for me to let that go. And it took a lot of honesty and talking and therapy to let that go. But when I did, I came to some real realizations. I realized that optimism has a price, that boundless optimism is as much a threat as pessimism. I always think things are going to be better tomorrow. I always think things are going to be better over there. But that was as just as much a risk as if I was operating from a place of fear. I had to get honest, I had to be present, and I had to be focused on where we were able to make the money. And when we looked at the books, immigration was where it was at. So 
I have a thick skull, and I am stubborn, and, and I had that optimism. So it was only when I decided to focus on immigration to let go of everything else. I let go of an, uh, an associate who only wanted to work on personal injury stuff. I sent all my personal injury stuff to Gary and to Tyson, and I focused on immigration. And since I focused on immigration only, I got to be a whole lot better attorney, I got to be a whole lot better marketer, and I got to be a whole lot better husband and partner. The best thing that happened to me was that Amani left the law school and she joined our firm. I am a, a 10 quick start. My follow through is a one on the Colby scale. My follow through is very low. Having Amani come, we're the exact opposite. And she was able to take that energy that I have and put it into a focused way. The other people in the office were going crazy because I always jumped from thing to thing to thing to thing. But when Amani came, there was the one person I had to listen to. And she would say, that's crazy. That's crazy. Why are you doing that? Well, maybe you don't want to do that. Let's, let's get an employee handbook. Oh, an employee handbook, that's a good idea. Let's have uh, training. That's a good idea. So we all have our strengths. And what I would encourage you today is to be honest about your strengths. One of the great things that's allowed us to scale is that I've given up a lot of things that I'm not good at. I'm not good at running meetings. I'm not good at policies and procedures. What I'm good at is thinking about how to make things grow. Things like, how do you make a podcast grow? How do you make a law firm grow? We have five attorneys now. We have, we have about 10 support staff members, and we're rocking and rolling. Now, my man, Guy DiMartino, points out that I'm lucky that we did immigration, and that's true. But we're in a position now, we're on very solid ground, because I got honest, because I admitted where I was with Imani, and I acknowledged that I needed to change, and I needed expertise of other people to build a team to grow. Because I couldn't do it all by myself, I had tried way too long, and I had failed miserably. So I encourage each of you to find what it is that you need to get through to the other side, to find what it is that you're struggling with, to share it with each other, to share it with whoever your partner is or whoever you need to, so that you can get past that crap and that you can get to a place of love and energy and joy that you all freaking deserve. I love each and every one of you, and I thank you all for being here. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.